And we are starting into one of the famous chapters of the Bible, Hebrews 11, this great list of people of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, Except we're not going to get to any of them today, we're just looking at the first three verses. From this point through in Hebrews, the Apostle Paul writing to Hebrew Christians, and we're not going to go into the background again, is applying the great truths about Jesus and his new and better covenant, things that Carol's reminded of us, uh, us of earlier, quoting from Hebrews 7, Hebrews 10, and so on. You see, it's, it's great to have great truths that Jesus has made this once-for-all sacrifice for us, that Jesus even now lives to make intercession for us before the presence of the Father. But that should change the way we live, shouldn't it? It should change the way we think, the way we conduct ourselves. So there's application to be made, real-life application. Now, when the Bible was written in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, Greek, and the New Testament, there were no chapter and verse divisions. They were added by well-meaning Christians many hundreds of years later. So we need to pick up where this is coming from in chapter 10. Let's pray together, first of all. Settle our hearts. Most of us are back in the room now. Scripture says the entrance of your word gives light. And so we pray for your word to enter our minds and our hearts and to reshape us today. We come to receive the words of God. I pray that the words that I speak will convey to people the words of God. They'll hear your word and may by your grace, your help, ignore the words that I add unnecessarily. Thank you, Father, for your grace upon us and for the power of your truth. Amen. So towards the end of chapter 10, the last two verses, say this. And uh, Paul is quoting here from the Old Testament from Habakkuk. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That quote from Habakkuk, Paul uses three times in three different letters. We know it by the phrase, the just shall live by faith. We have faith to the preserving of the soul, by which we mean we are saved, through faith in Jesus, we are being saved now by the work of the Holy Spirit continuing in us and we will be saved at the coming of our Lord Jesus by God's grace alone, through faith alone. Here it is in Ephesians. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, of being religious, of being goody-goody. That's good news for some of you, isn't it? Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one says, I made it, I I got through by my own effort. You didn't. We're saved by the grace of God alone through simply faith. Notice that it's not saying the faith. Now it's true that we're saved by the gospel, through the truth, the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're saved through that truth, by that truth. But When the Bible's talking about faith here in in, in Hebrews and what we just read in in Ephesians, 
It's talking about the faith that God puts within us. Our response to the truth of faith, of believing, of responding. It's talking about that faith, that saving faith that God works in us. And the Apostle now gives us some points about faith. And then a long list of examples, we're not even starting on today, of people from the Old Testament, from those times, who lived by faith. But it starts this way in Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old, not just old men, the men from old times, gained approval. And he gives a list of those. We'll work them in a while. But in starting to talk about faith with you this morning, I have a problem. My problem is this. A lot of stuff about faith has already been fed to you. Let me give you a little illustration here. There's a lot of good preachers up and down the country today who've worked hard and prepared what you might, might, you might think of as being a meal. Yeah? They're laying out a, a, a plate of food. I'm getting you ready for lunch here, right? They're laying out a plate of food for you. They've worked in it. They've prepared for it. They, 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 they've given it to you. But people come to hear their pastor having already eaten the junk food from the Christian TV channels. They're already full of something else. Yeah? Bit of a sheet, really, isn't it? Mum, you know, says, why aren't you hungry? And then she finds the, the sweet wrappers in the, in the kid's pocket, you know, that they ate on the way from school. It's not good food. Preaching and teaching of faith continues to be a big business today. It's big business in the worldwide church. Huge careers are built on it. Conferences, TV programs, books, DVDs, some people really get into this stuff. And it tends to have a label called Word of Faith Movement. And it isn't all good. What does faith mean? Now, the last thing you should do if you're a Christian is think, well, now I'll go to the dictionary and find out. Do you know dictionaries are full of all sorts of crazy ideas? I mean, if you look at the word wicked nowadays, it doesn't mean what it used to mean because they make it mean something else. You know, words change. We need to know what the Bible means by the word faith. The word faith appears 250 times in the Bible, but only four times in the Old Testament. Sorry, that's four, not five. Only four times in the Old Testament. It's very much a new thing that comes in, in the New Testament. But even though as we look at in this chapter in a week or two's time, people in the Old Testament were living by faith. It didn't say that then. It says it looking back and saying they lived out this new life, which is the life that Jesus has brought for us, that we live by faith. So almost everything we need to know about faith comes from the words of the Lord Jesus himself, and I haven't got time today to go into many of those. I hope to bring some in a few weeks' time and the writings of the apostles, Peter, Paul, and the others. Here's the first thing you need to understand. It always means faith toward God. Faith is God-centered. It's not problem-centered. It's not answer-centered. It's not me-centered. It's God-centered. In fact, 
really this is shorthand now because earlier on in the book the writer said this therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ the Messiah let us press on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from works that lead to death and of faith toward God every time Paul's talking about faith he means faith toward God Jesus said have faith in God He then went on to talk in that passage, Mark 11, about mountains being moved, prayers being answered, and forgiving those who sin against you. You need faith to do those things. You need faith to drive out demons, and the disciples didn't have enough on one occasion. All of those things are founded in faith, not faith for the thing to happen, faith towards God, who will make it happen. Whatever in scripture, whenever in Scripture we see the word faith, we need to understand it, it, it needs these two words added to make it really make it sense, for it to make sense, toward God. That's where a good deal of so-called faith teaching has gone completely straight. It makes faith a thing in itself. Faith is the Bible word that sums up the connection and relationship between us and God. In the same way that marriage is the word that defines the relationship between one man and one woman, Living together in God's, under God's holy ordinance and covenant of marriage. Yes? So, faith is the word that describes, in one word, the relationship between men and women and God. It's how we live. And I get very cross when people preach of faith, but it's about us accomplishing things for ourselves without God. In other words, your faith making heaven. People talk about have the kind of faith that God has. Have faith in your faith. Put your faith to work. It's presented as mentally imaging something and positively confessing that. This is new age stuff, really. Kind of faith, a power exercised independently from God, not focused on God. That is more about witchcraft than biblical Christianity. Faith is about relationship with God, not about accomplishing feats and tricks through mind games. And if what you've been led to understand of faith is built around the output of TV ministries, I need you to know it's seriously off course. It's not what the Lord Jesus and the Scriptures teach us. Remember, John coined a word. He uses it four times in his letters, and it's a word that doesn't appear anywhere else in the literature of those times. Antichristos means says quite literally Antichrist, and it's a word he coins because to, to talk about false teaching. It takes away from Jesus, and when you move people away from Jesus, really you're working against Jesus. Faith is Godward, not inward. And there's the problem, you see, that many of us go, Well, oh, where's my faith? Where's my faith? Where's my faith? Faith only grows, only stands, only works when you're looking outside of yourself to the Lord. Let me give you a definition. I've got about four or five definitions. I'm saying it different ways, but here's one of them to start off with. This is why you need the notes, so you can be scribbling down lots of things. Faith believes in God, believes his word as truth, and lives accordingly in dependence on and obedience towards God. Faith is God. It believes God. It believes his truth, his word. And it lives, therefore, in a fitting way that depends on him and obeys him. The first person who is commended in Scripture for this faith towards God is Abraham. 
Well, at least in, when you get to Jesus talking and, and Romans. First one mentioned as you go through the New Testament is Abraham. Jesus referred to Abraham. Paul mentions him a lot. We're going to come back to talking about Abraham in a few weeks' time. But for now, here's what happened. Okay? Let me give you a very simple version of a whole big chunk of Genesis. Okay? God spoke to Abraham. Abraham obeyed God. Down the road, maybe years later, God spoke again to Abraham and made him promises. And Abraham believed God and continued to walk before him. Track on a few more years, maybe even 20. God spoke again to Abraham and Abraham did what God told him and trusted what God had said to him. That, my friends, is the whole life of faith summed up in three sentences. Abraham heard God, believed God, and acted accordingly. He made his messes. He was not perfect. But he lived a life of faith. Faith, then, is our response to trust and obey God. The whole process begins and it becomes a way of life. That is how Abraham lived. Faith is a God-connected, God-centered relationship and lifestyle. It is faith towards God through Jesus Christ, his son. According to the scriptures, not according to somebody's preaching even, but according to the scriptures, leading to righteousness and obedience. You see, there are those who talk about faith as a substance. Faith is not a substance. That's the words of the King James being twisted. King James says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But that word there that's translated as substance in the King James has already been used twice in Hebrews, and it doesn't mean a liquid or a solid, like, like, like washing up liquid or, or, or your detergent you put in a washing machine. It's not a substance or some kind of drug. It's not a substance. Let me give you another scripture. Okay. Oh, I haven't put that one in. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13. How many of you have been to a wedding and heard 1 Corinthians 13? <laughs> love is kind, love is gentle. Last verse of that says, Now abide or remain these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Let me, let me ask you something. Is love a substance? Is hope a substance? No, neither is faith a substance. You can, be, you can have more or less love. Yes, we understand that. You can be full of love or low in love. We understand that. You can have more or less hope. You can be full of hope or low in hope. And you can have more faith or less faith. You can be full of faith or be low in faith. But they are not substances. They are a position of heart, of mind, of will. They are the characteristic of how you're functioning at that time. But false teachers pick up the word substance from the King James and they spin all kinds of webs of deceit around that. When you hear someone talking about faith is a substance, faith is a substance, switch it off. Here's what Hebrews 11 is actually saying. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of the expected, the evidence of the invisible. But I like Weymouth. Faith is a well-grounded assurance of that for which we hope and a conviction of the reality of things which we do not yet see. See, faith is not magic. 
You know, here's a problem, we'll shake some faith at it. You know, you can't turn hallelujah into abracadabra. You know, and if only I shout loud enough and say the right words, this is going to... That's magic, folks. We are Christians, we're not magicians. Faith is not a power you exercise. Christianity is not a religion of magic. We depend upon a God who's supernatural. He can act in ways that are not roped off by physics, logic, biology, time, or any measure. He's God, the Almighty, the Eternal. But he is God. He's a person, a divine being. And we trust and depend upon a God who, as we read earlier in Ephesians, his power is towards those who believe. He helps us with his power as we trust in him. We don't use the force... Who do you think we are? Luke Skywalker? We don't send out the power. Some people read Harry Potter more than they read the Bible, I think. Christians live in and by the Holy Spirit. We don't live in a world of magic and powers. Please repent of thinking about faith as a power you can use to make things happen. Here's a nice quote from someone. I didn't find out who this is from. It's not mine. Faith is not a means of getting man's will done in heaven. It is the means of getting God's will done on earth. That's why we taught that pattern prayer. Faith is relationship. It's relationship between us and God, between God and us. Faith believes God. Faith speaks to God in prayer and hears from God through his word. Faith believes his word. Jesus said, Your word is truth. Jesus says all that the scriptures have said is truth. Faith believes God's word and faith behaves accordingly. Now as an example of faith, the apostle goes to creation, which is where we get to verse 3. We're in doing these three verses today. By faith we understand. Notice that. By faith we understand. Until you believe what God's word, you don't understand. You think, well, I don't get it, I don't get it. I don't. But when you say, okay, I accept that it's God's word, now help me, Lord. When you believe, you understand. In fact, you have to believe to see. So long as you reject the truth, you won't see it. But when you start to believe it, you see it. Come back to Scripture, David. By faith we understand that the worlds, that's not just this world, but the worlds, it means the cosmos, the planets, the universe, were prepared by the word of God. God spoke and it came into being. So that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. We weren't there to see that happen, were we? Genesis 1, the creation of the world. But on the basis of God's word, his account to us, we understand and believe that he made all things out of nothing. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo, from nothing. Creation ex nihilo, from nothing, out of nothing. Now even scientists that woke up to that eventually and talk about the Big Bang. What was before the Big Bang? They said, we don't know, nothing. There was nothing, there was no cosmos, there was no universe, there was no planet Earth. But in the beginning, says Genesis 1 verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. But Paul's main point here is not to teach creation, we could do that. He's saying here, we believe that that's true because God says so. By faith we understand because God says that that's what he did. 
Yes? Let me tell you a little story. I, I was converted when I was 18. I was in the middle of doing my A-level biology, amongst other A-levels at the time. And I left school on a Friday afternoon, biology student, evolutionist, you know, learning all of that stuff. And cut a long story short, I was converted, turned to Christ. I was brought to Christ that weekend. Walked into school on the Monday, and I was a creationist. Just like that. By faith, I understood. And when I started to ask some questions and, and throw in a few kind of curveballs to my biology teacher, he took me aside in the meeting and he, at the end of the, the service, end of the lesson, and said, what's gone into you, David Evans? He said, you were my best pupil last week and now you're missing me up. I said, I've become a Christian. He said, what, what do you mean? Have you, have, have you had your, has someone brainwashed you? I said, oh, I do hope my brain has been washed. Yes, thank you very much. We accept and believe and understand and act because we believe God and his word. Faith is connected to the word of God. We believe what he said. We believe it's true. We believe his promises. But we also believe and act on his instructions and directions. But while we're thinking about creation, let me remind you about the creation and the fall of man. That was the only kind of polite picture of Eden I could put up there that didn't involve nudity in some sort, which I found is a bit embarrassing. In the beginning, God made children for himself. Listen to me. He made some children for himself. Adam and Eve, male and female. And he placed them in a perfect world and blessed them. They had one condition of life to continue living in that covenant blessing of God. They were to keep faith with him to trust him and to obey his word. And they had one word to obey. Don't eat of that tree. Everything else, don't eat of that tree. But they did. And their rebellion, their sin, had cosmic significance. We, their offspring, are fallen creatures living in a corrupted world. We need God to make us his children again which is exactly what he's doing through the gospel of his son. Bringing men and women and boys and girls back into his family to be his dear children. He's doing it through Jesus, his son, as saviour. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden rejected faith in God. They distrusted him and disobeyed him. Track through a good few thousand years. There's a man in a garden. He's on his own. His name is Jesus. Jesus knelt in a garden and sweated blood, resisting unbelief and disobedience, submitting himself to the will of the Father. And when he had settled it, he arose from his knees and walked to his betrayal, his arrest, his suffering and death for us. Jesus reversed the fall for those who will trust him. Now we are the children of God through faith in Jesus, God's Son. The question is this, will we keep faith? Will we trust God? Will we accept his instructions? Will we believe that his heart is good towards us? That he knows better than we do? 
that his way, his life for us is good? Will we trust God, love him, keep his word, obey him? Will we believe he knows what is best for us and order our lives, our relationships, our time, even handling our money as he instructs us according to his word? That's the question. No wonder that God loves and rewards faith in his children. See, the scripture says, Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm a Protestant and an evangelical. Well, I'm a Pentecostal as well, but that's another thing. I believe that every person must be saved from sin and death by the grace of God alone, through faith alone. I believe that's what the Gospels and Scriptures teach. But evangelicals, you know, have for centuries, for a long time, tended to fix upon, uh, number one, Christianity being a very individual thing, and I think we've got got wrong on that one. It is a shared thing, too. It is a community issue. We are saved into a community, not just as an individual. And they've also focused so much on this conversion, that the moment you became a Christian, that we've neglected this life of faith. That wasn't my tummy, honestly. This ongoing effect here. See, that great statement of Habakkuk that Paul repeats three times in his letters does not say a believer will come to life through faith. It says the believer will continue in life through faith. The just will live by faith as a way of life. We've turned into, we'll come into life. That's true, but it's not what the Bible says there. It's we will continue to live by faith. It's how life works for us. And in fact, when he's quoting Hebrews 2 in in the end of chapter 10, Paul goes on to add the other bit from from that verse. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And he says, but we're not of those who shrink back, are we? We're not of those who shrink back. Faith says, I believe God, I believe the Lord. I believe his word. I take him to be my saviour, to be trusted and dependent upon. And I accept him as my master to be obeyed. Faith acts. It has a lifestyle to it. It's a lifestyle of devotion. It's Godward. It's God-centred. Jesus at the centre of it all. Prayer, worship, Reading, studying scripture. Why so I hear God through scripture? It's his main way of, you know, you can wait all day for a voice from heaven and God saying, pick up the Bible, pick up the Bible, pick up the Bible. A, vo- a life of devotion to him. There are times of prayer, worship, repentance. A, a life of dependence. We'll talk about that more when we get to verse 6 of Hebrews. Those who seek him diligently. Why do we need to seek him diligently? Because we are lost without him. It doesn't happen unless we get the help of God. We, do, we just don't make any progress unless God's helping us. A lifestyle of dependence. Jesus even puts it down to this one. You know the pattern prayer, the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. You think, well, I know where to buy bread. I got a little. No. I am dependent upon God for all the things that bring me to the point in which I can get in the car, in our case, put my hand in my pocket, go into Lidl's and buy the bread. All of those things depended upon God in the first place. Yeah? The ability to earn, the, 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 the car to start, all kinds of things depend upon God. A life of dependence and a life of obedience. Oh, Adam and Eve, one thing, just one thing. 
and they had to break it. One thing. No wonder God loves faith. Let's get back to Hebrews 1.13. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the words, worlds were prepared by the word of God. And the emphasis there is on the word of God. It's how we get everything through understanding and, and, and believing God's word, taking hold of his promises so that what is seen is not made out of things which are invisible. Let me focus on what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How many of you right now have everything you could ever wish for as a Christian? I'm not talking about the size of your house or car. But you're right now, you know, life couldn't get any better for you. Anybody? Oh, there's honesty, as they say in Wales. Okay, so all of us, all of us in this room now, if you're a Christian, are still waiting, hoping for some things that you do not yet see, you do not yet have. Am I, on your, am I right? Yes? yes? Look at it. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not now see. We're kind of looking ahead in the sense we're looking for it, but it's not here yet. My friends, that is how we live the Christian life. It's a life of hope, of looking ahead. Of, of, we're knowing that the best is yet to come, to quote someone who preached here recently. We do not now have all that we hope for. We have not inherited all that is promised us in Jesus. We don't now see things that are still ahead of us because we live in what we call the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Right now, when I get sick, I can pray, I can ask the Lord to help me and heal me. And, and every time so far he has, thank him, bless his name. But you know what? I'm still, I still get sick. And that isn't going to change this side of the resurrection day. Because this body is subject to decay and disease. And getting older, but we won't talk about that. I can't change that. I can't be in the eternal kingdom. I'm still having to live through this one now, which is, right now, this is mixture. We live in a now and not yet. There are things we cannot have completely because we're still living with our fallenness and in a corrupted world and a corrupted creation. We have glorious promises of, and prophetic pictures in the, in the scriptures of, of God's eternal kingdom, which he holds in store for those who love him. But because we're fallen beings living in a fallen creation, we can't have it all now. And any preacher who tells you that is making it up. But because we have faith in God, the faith itself is our grounded assurance conviction in things we still hope for, we will see in the future. And it is enough to have the faith. To, have, to not have the thing, but to have the faith is enough. You're not sure about that. This relationship with God, believing his word, behaving accordingly, knowing that he holds good things in store for those who seek him and love him. That is enough. We're living by faith. We're justified by faith. And through faith we are learning what it is to be his children, how to live as his children. Those upon whom all his promises rest. Great, magnificent promises. 
We'll see as we go through Hebrews 11 that many generations of believers trusted God, were assured, confident, hoping in him, yet they died not seeing what they hoped for. Abraham believed in his heart that God had a city for him and he never saw it, but he will. It's called the New Jerusalem. It's the church of God in the, in the eternal age. When, Abra- when Abraham, I don't know if he sees it now, you know, because I can't get into explaining or thinking about all that right now. But when Abraham sees Revelation 22 being fulfilled and he sees the people of God, the bride of Christ, the city of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, adorned like a bride, Abraham will go, that's the city. <laughs> he will inherit what he saw. People died in faith, not having received, not having seen, but they held the faith, and that was enough. I'm going to give you some more headlines. Faith has an origin. It doesn't come from ourselves. It's a gift of God. If you have believing, saving faith in you, in your heart, in your mind, within your being right now, God put it there. If it's, if it's the real deal, if it's real faith, God put it there. You didn't make it happen. You received it as a gift from God. It has an origin. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Faith has an object. It's God who is the object of faith. Not faith in yourself, not faith in your faith, faith in God. Faith has an object. It looks outside of oneself to someone else who is the source, the supply your helper, your redeemer, your rock, your strength. What else did you mention earlier, Carol? (laughs) He is all of those things to you and to me. Faith looks to him. Fix our eyes upon Jesus. Like the, like the, the eyes of a servant are towards their master, our eyes are to the Lord. Because we get our instructions from him, we get our supply from him, we get our strength from him. We get our wisdom from him. We get our courage from him. Faith has occasions. Oh, I could talk a while about occasions, but you might get upset. How many of you know that life is nice and smooth? and It's like, it's like being on the autobahn in Germany. You do whatever speed you like, and it's flat and straight. And oh, it's Anybody got life like that? For most of us, life is more like driving across Cornwall. (laughs) Not only that, but there's potholes and floods and all kinds of things. There's all kinds of stuff. You know? Jesus said, In the world, you will have trouble. And we go, What? But don't be afraid, I've overcome the world. Faith has occasions, but those occasions, if you don't want to hear this, they test our faith. Because the question when that occasion happens, when that difficulty comes is, is God really for me? Can I trust him in this? Can I look to him and find his help in this? Will I ask him for courage? Will I ask him for strength? Will I ask him for wisdom? Or am I just going to flunk it? It's a test of faith. And not that you have the resources, but will you ask for the resources from him? It's not, I could do this. Oh, people die saying that, you know that? 
I can jump this. <laughs> I can drive through it. You know. Famous last words. It's only, a, it's only a small jump, you know. I'm sure it's deep, it's deep water underneath. There's all kinds of things. People jump presumptuously into things and do things presumptuously. We are not expecting that we have the resources within ourselves. Faith gets resources from God. Finds our help in him. But when we're faced with a crisis, when we're faced with a difficulty, when we're faced with something that stretches every, every bit of our guts and heart and mind and we're desperate, the answer is, where does my help come from? And the biblical answer is, my help comes from, say it with me, those of you who know it, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That is the answer of faith. And when we find that answer, and we make that our answer, guess what? Our faith gets strengthened. Faith has occasions. Then faith has obstacles. There are things to overcome even within ourselves. I'm talking about particularly there, not so much, I've put trials again, but I'm talking there about doubts, inward feelings. Inward feelings. You know, we are human beings, we're a mixture, we are strange beings. We are, we've got this super intellect and yet we, we, we listen to, to, to gut feelings rather than, rather than smart thinking. And, 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 and we have these kind of biorhythm things that we're up and down and, and, and we, you know, we're physically feeling better some days than others and mentally stronger some days than others and emotionally weaker some days than others. I'm not saying check your biorhythm. I'm not making you into a new ager. I'm just saying that those things do have some bearing on how we live as people, right? So how are we weaklings, puny individuals that we are, ever going to make it through life? By doubting our doubts? By asking for help in our weaknesses? By coming to God for the resources and the courage and whatever else that we need at that time? And Hebrews says we're to come boldly to the throne of grace and ask of him to receive grace and mercy to help in time of trouble. That's not just dealing with the issues, you know, the, 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 the difficulties, which might be kind of out there. I'm saying to you, that's dealing with stuff in here as well. I'm hurt. You know, I'm, 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 I'm bruised. I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm feeling down, I'm, whatever it is. God is the helper not only of our circumstances but of our hearts. And the only way to get your heart sorted is to bring it before God and say, this is where I am, I'm looking for your help, Lord. I'm asking, I'm asking you for your help. Now there are many, many good psalms that we could use on those occasions. I could quote a few of them to you, but they kind of generally run like this. Many of them from David, who had his ups and downs too. And they go like this. I'm fed up. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. Those people over there don't even fear God, and they're having a whale of a time. And here am I, you know, people are hunting me down to kill me. You know? And they're, they're feasting and drinking, and here am I hiding in a cave. This is good fun, Lord. But there's a point where, I'm kind of making a, adding a few bits in it. There's a point every time when he goes, okay, okay, soul, wake up. Trust in God. And he talks to himself. Come on, come on. Come on, David Evans. Trust in God. I will yet praise him who is the helper. And in one verse he says, the helper of my 
If you know your heart needs help, you've got somewhere. Now go and get it. But do not just accept the obstacles to faith. Deal with them. Deal with them. Go and get your help from the Lord. Okay, a bit too long on that one, maybe. Something to say on that one? The computer's gone. No, it's got back in. And lastly, there is an outcome. Salvation, reward, glory. But that, that's, again, that's a now and not yet. You can have some of that now. You can know the help of God and the, the healing of God and the resources of God now. As well as glorious future. As well as glorious inheritance in his eternal kingdom. But we get some now. One day in a resurrected body, I will be free from disease and death and even aging forever. Right? But I can have little droplets of his help now. Eternal life's at work in us now. The grace of God is at work in us now. Yeah? You can't have it all. And people who say that you can are misleading you. But we can know God's help and deliverance and, and, and courage and strength and, 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 and wisdom to deal with situations again and again and again. So faith has an outcome. Temporarily, in this time, in this situation, in this crisis, in the depths of my, my, my distress or whatever else it is. But also, as we trust him again and again through those experiences of life, we are laying up for ourselves eternal reward. Is God going to reward those who love him and obey him and trust him? Well, you're not sure about it. Well, we'll do that when we get to Hebrews 1.6. I'll get there, all right? I'll convince you. He's going to reward those who do that. Faith is what we hold on to now. This assurance conviction that we will in time receive all that we, God has laid up for us. But even now, he is helping us. I like this. Uh, I saw this picture on the internet. I like it. I hope you can read it all. If I read it to you, it says, faith is believing even if everything looks so wrong. But at least three words are badly misspelled there. To make the point. Faith is believing even when everything seems, looks so wrong. Faith sees even a, a, a huge pressure against us as Christians and says, can anything separate us from the love of God? Can tribulation or distress or nakedness or peril or sword? Hebrews, sorry, Romans chapter 8, yeah? Some of us know those scriptures very well. There's a, there'll be a moment in your life when you need to be saying that. Because you'll be distressed, you'll be worried, you'll be afraid. So you confess the truth. Nothing, nothing, actually, nothing can separate you from that. There's more to say when we reach verse 6, but today we end here. Okay? Faith, strong or weak? Now, I know that's a question. If I ask you, some of you are going to go, Oh, I'm weak in faith. Oh, I'm always mean. I'm doing Let me say again, it's a characteristic, it's an attitude of mind and heart. There were two people, just two people, in all of Jesus' life and work on earth that he commended for their great faith. And neither of them were Jewish. One was a Roman centurion, the other was a Canaanite woman. What we call nowadays a Palestinian, you know, one of them. But sadly, the Lord Jesus had to rebuke his own disciples on a number of occasions for their weak faith. His own disciples. These guys he'd pulled out and drawn to himself and 
really ticked them off about their weak faith. They didn't believe, they didn't trust, they didn't obey. They sometimes acted presumptuously without praying, without seeking you know, God's resources before they started doing something, like, for instance, driving a demon out. So if today, you, you know, if I pose the question, faith strong or weak, you go, oh, I'm weak. Well, you're in illustrious company. Great saints throughout the ages have been exactly where you are, so cheer up, please. So what is the answer? The answer is always the same. It's the answer we keep coming to in Hebrews. Come to him. Draw near. Ask, receive. That's what we found again and again and again as we've gone through. We receive grace and mercy to help us and to equip us when we draw near. Here's a quote from John Piper. I know this is John Piper. Not going to God because your faith is weak is like not going to the doctor because you feel sick. That's where you need to go. We come to him and we confess the reality of our situation. We pour out our hearts before him. I want to quote some of Jesus to you. So let me quote this from Matthew 5. You might even identify with some of these statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's future. You're not going to see that in this life, but you will have that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is right relationship and right living before God. They shall be satisfied. Jesus urges us, come on, let, let, if you come to me, I can strengthen you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest to yourselves. You're still going to face the same challenges, but you can find, you're going to find me helping you in those challenges. Yeah, Jesus is pulling with you. Jesus is connected to you. We're going to walk through this together. It's a huge, huge deceit to think that we are somehow getting through life on our own and God is watching to see how we turn out. Don't you understand it? I am with you. Life is to be lived in partnership with God our helper. And the relationship that connects us to him is called, starts with F, folks. So the disciples, interestingly, is when he'd been talking about forgiving other people their sins against you. (laughs) Their response was, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. Well, that's a good prayer. You might want to make it yours today. Lord, Increase our faith. Here's a beginning of picking some things up about faith. We're going to look at the examples of some of the Christians of the Old Testament. I say Christians because they looked forward to Christ, to Jesus come. And we're going to look particularly at Hebrews 1 verse 6 in a week at his time. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because everyone must, who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. 
to turn that around. Faith pleases God. You want to know God's pleasure, God's joy? Trust him. Do you want to turn the volume up on that? Obey him. Because God loves faith. It's what he misses because we rejected him in Adam and Eve. And when we, who are called as his children, learn and grow in faith, God loves it. It's the family image being restored. He made us to bear his image. And when we learn to live in faith, which is Godward, it's not playing mind tricks and all that kind of thing. It's Godward. When we learn to depend upon him. In a lifestyle that acknowledges all that I have comes from you, Lord. All I have belongs to you, Lord. You give me, you know, the house I live in, the, 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 uh, the food that comes to the table, the, the cash flow of the household. This is all yours, Lord. This is all your help, all of your provision. When it learns to honor God and the way we handle those things, to honor God by obeying him in his directions and instructions about how we handle every bit of life, God loves faith. And he'll always reward it. He'll always commend it. Let's pray together, and then we're going to be breaking bread together. Okay. Remember, Lord Jesus, that you were so delighted when you found faith. And you found it in the most unlikely places, it seems. And you were so distressed, really, even cross when those you were close to didn't step up and trust God and depend upon God. Acted foolishly or presumptuously or failed the, failed the task. Because, Lord, you, you love faith. One scripture says it's more precious than gold that perishes in a fire. You love it. You love to see faith in the minds and hearts of your children and the way they conduct themselves, looking to you, looking to you, looking for your pleasure, looking to, to have the feedback of your joy as they do what pleases you. So Lord, we give ourselves to you right now. Pray that we may be pleasing to you the way we think in our hearts may be directed by your word. That we, we believe in our hearts will be God-honoring. And the way we live may also, therefore, be the outcome of that also, God-honoring. Jesus, be the center. Be the focus. You are the source of the whole of our lives. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We bless you and thank you, Lord. And we thank you that it is true the cross. You walk from Gethsemane by way of a few engagements along the way, but your purpose was by the end of that day you would be at Golgotha and you would die on the cross. And so again in bread and wine, we remember the body and blood of our Lord Jesus given for us. It is for the forgiveness of our sins. It's for the restoration of relationship with God through Jesus. 
It is so we learn to live as those who are the dear children of a loving Heavenly Father. Thank you for this incredible restoration and recovery, this salvation that is ours through Jesus and his cross.